This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming. My name is Craig Rosen, and I'm the coordinator of the theater department here at Moraine Valley. And this is uh, Professor Krista Applequist, who is the head of the forensics department. And thank you all for coming. Some of you are assigned to, and some are just here, so we appreciate that. Um, each year... As part of the Women's History Month celebration, the forensics, uh, the forensics coach and the theater coach... And forensics is competitive speech and debate, so don't think cutting up dead bodies forensics, so... I'm not well. um, we, we come together and uh, have our students do readings. For the last few years, it was from a play called Vagina Monologues by Eve Ensler. Um, this play, Vagina Monologues, has been in existence for around 10 or 12 years and was a worldwide phenomenon, and it dealt specifically with issues regarding women's vaginas. Um, it's a series of monologues, uh, some of them verbatim interviews with women from all around the world, of all ages, of all colors, creeds, religions, talking about how they perceive themselves, how the world perceives them. And it became such a phenomenon that there's a V-Day event every year. And these events go worldwide, and uh, they're readings of vagina monologues. Oftentimes, stars take part in them. Oftentimes, they're parts of, uh, of the community. And all the proceeds from those benefit performances go to, go to, um, go to support houses for women dealing with rape crises, uh, molestation, things along those lines. This year, we decided to uh, take on a different show, which was Eve Ensler's second show dealing with this topic called The Good Body. The Good Body is similar to Vagina Monologues in that it's based on real interviews with women throughout the world uh, about the rest of their body, issues concerning them, their self-esteem, how the world perceives them. So I'm going to let uh, Krista tell you a little bit more about the good body. Eve Ensler went around the world actually interviewing women of different ages, different body types, different ethnicities about their body. And she titled this The Good Body. Her idea of a good body is really hard to define because it depends on what culture you're in and some of the standards of a good body contradict each other. Uh, One thing that she came to a conclusion is that a good body is flat. A good body is skinny. A good body is sexually pure and not too curvy or lascivious. But yet, then again, isn't a good body actually curvy and appealing to the male gaze? Well, yes, these standards sometimes do contradict. So the monologues are about women coping with the psychological trauma that can result when you're trying to adhere to these standards. Um, Some of the monologues are about them coping with this. Some of the monologues are about them not coping, deciding to flout these standards of a good body and just be comfortable with the body that they're in. So, disclaimer time. I just said the word sexuality, and some of the themes in some of the monologues do deal with the body and do deal with sex. So if you're offended by anything like that or uh, some profanity, like if you don't have cable, then you might not be comfortable with some of the things that come up in the monologues. So without further ado, I would ask you now to please silence your cell phones. I don't want any cell phone distractions or anything like that. Um, At the end of the monologues, We think this is about a half an hour performance. At the end, if you're in Craig Rosen's class or if you're in my class and you're here to get some extra credit, make sure you go over to this glass case at the front and sign your name and and put what class day and time you're in. Okay, any questions before we begin? One, uh, one other thing to add is that afterwards, if you have any questions regarding what yes. you just saw, we'd love to talk about it uh, some with you, so um, so please stay afterwards to talk uh, about it. And Chris, the disclaimer about if you're uncomfortable with it, 
that's part of the point of the show. So if you find some of these things jarring to you or uncomfortable, stay around and then afterwards talk about it so we can kind of figure out why why yep. these are part of it and what the point was. So please let it challenge you, not frighten you off. You can ask the performers any questions you want or us. So, Okay, are we ready? Thank you. Eve, it's fine. Don't worry. I do this all the time. I'm just a little sore. I've heard people say that they've been changed by someone, but they don't mean literally. My surgeon literally changed me with his hands, with his instruments, with his vision. I'm not anything like the person I used to be. I went to him originally because another doctor had really botched my breast implants. My left breast was deflated and looked really odd, like all the life from it was gone. Ham, that's my surgeon's name, well, because he looks like one, bald, fat, short, ham. <laughs> he was horrified at the mess the previous doctor had made, and he actually seemed a little tipped with me, like I wasn't committed to making this the bestest, goodest body it could be. That is Ham's mission. I mean, that's what he does. I'm not sure that I ever even had the confidence to even imagine being perfect. I mean, I liked having a few extra glasses of wine or sleeping till noon or letting my hair go unwashed a few extra days. Ham really changed all that. He's very strict. After I woke up from my first surgery, he was there standing over me. He was very excited. He had taken a life-size photograph of my entire body naked. It felt a little bit invasive. I mean, I am shy, and I didn't really know him. There were corrected red marks all over my body, like the kind you got in your spelling mistakes in seventh grade. I was still groggy, but Ham's enthusiasm got through. Your body is a map, he said. These red marks are designated beauty capitals that need renovation and work. That was six years ago. And today, I am a ham creation. I've had lipo on my stomach, butt, and thighs. I have newer soya breast implants that do not harden and feel kinder to the touch. That was for ham. After he made my tits softer, we started dating. They really turned them on. He was doing a checkup exam about a month after surgery. He was feeling my breasts all doctorly. Then something changed. It just got different. Before I knew it, Hannah climbed up on top of the examining table and we were doing it. I think how wonderful it must be for him to actually make love to what he's created. It must be very satisfying. And it's good, Eve. Twice during sex, he's discovered areas with his finger and tongue that need more work. Ham says it's good I'm only 35, so all this will last for a while. It was after he did my list that he proposed to me. I think it was my little pouty pooch that made me irresistible. We're married now, two years. Some people have cafes or bookshops. We've got my body. It's our small business. It's a joke Ham and I make, but we're doing well. I've won several major beauty contests, and I've booked lots of commercials and magazines. Ham is devoted to me. He is always so kind, particularly when I first wake up from surgery. He knows how much it terrifies me. Ever since the cardiac episode, it was during my second breast implant that my heart just kind of stopped. I felt so bad for him. He had just finished his beautiful work on my breast, and he was going to have to ruin it by compressing it. Fortunately, he waited, and my heart started on its own. Sometimes... I worry what will happen when he runs out of parts for me to change, or that I'll just get bored and lose interest. 
That's why I've secretly never given up ice cream. Beware. We are everywhere. Most of us are over 40. In your hospitals and schools, your churches and restaurants, smiling now. No wrinkles, no surprise. We are virginal, fresh. We live in camouflage. I teach kindergarten and your children like me better. They think I'm kinder and more fun. I work on Wall Street, and when you interrupt me with bad ideas, you can no longer tell how dumb I think you are. We have poison in our foreheads, in our chins, like the head of a snake. One more false humiliating move, you could activate the global posse. Here's something that could do it. People who tell me to lighten up when I'm already fucking funny. It's real. It's patulinum. It's in our bodies. A single gram could kill millions. My face could take out most of Manhattan. It gives new meaning to the notion of homeland security, doesn't it? And who am I? I am the, kill the Hillary Clinton who told Bill to fuck himself and still got to be president. I am the Princess Di who married that Muslim. I am the Laura Bush who has a lot to say. Like Condi Rice, I'm smiling at you. Not one inch of this fucking rage leaks through. Here's the scary news. There are millions of us. We serve your tea. We hand out peanuts on your planes. We wipe your ass. We shred your documents. Call me a bitch. It's all right. I like the word. Bitch, 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 bitch. I cooked three meals a day for 22 years, and not one of you said thank you. I ironed your goddamn underwear. I sucked you off before every single major speech you gave. I played those games in bed. I did. I called it Mr. Winky. It's easier now. I look so open. I look so refreshing, so enchanting, so brand new. It's easier to slip through. They can't check this bag at customs. And the doctor shoots me up every couple weeks. My face is numb, but in here, I'm insane. You wouldn't let me in the club. And like you, I wanted access to the world. I wanted to be great. We get pricked and we bleed and we call them Botox parties. It isn't Tupperware this time, baby. It's the post-mensis, not sorry anymore, not many years left, smiling at you, army. We are blood sisters. We are lethal. We are growing in numbers. We do not scowl. We do not squint. We don't get look mad. We look relaxed, like we've just had a nap, like we're back from vacation. You will be drawn to us. Watch your toes, watch your dick, watch your back. One bite, beware. Call it what it is, Eve. This ain't no spa. This is a fat camp. You're here, you're fucked. I don't know about you, but I'm starving. Where are the Cheetos? They busted a girl in my bunk last night. She had hoarded hundreds of packs of contraband gum stuffed in the ripped-off head of her little teddy bear. She tried to smush it back together, but she had already broken its neck. Fool. She deserved to be starving. Now, the big question is, who let the skinny girls in? Skinny bitches don't belong in this camp. They make the rest of us look fat. Skinny bitches drive me nuts. Skinny bitches don't deserve to be thin. They have no personality. They're just skinny bitches. 
They're always trying to make us feel sorry for them when their entire torso can fit up my sleeve. Oh my gosh, can you focus right here? Do I look fat? No, 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 seriously, please, right here. I want to choke their skinny necks. Fat is as low, disgusting, as gross as you can get. Like when I'm shopping at the, in the regular stores. They always keep the plus sizes in the back like porn. I feel like a hoe trying things on, and the plus size sign is always so huge. Just because I'm fat don't mean I'm blind. Skinny bitches never have to work at anything. They're skinny. Fat girls do everything double. We have to be funny. Fat girls give the best head. Don't we, Eve? We work harder to keep our men. Fat girls always swallow. You know, Eve, last night after the counselors went to sleep, some of us fat girls, we had a wicked night. We stripped off our bathing suits and we went chunky dunking in the swimming pool. We jumped off a high diving board and made huge waves. Some of the beach chairs just floated away. It felt so good. We did some fat girl water ballet, some swan ass lake. We were pointing our chubby toes and kicking our legs. We look so much better naked than in those made-for-skinny-bitches bathing suits. I have to tell you, in the moonlight, we were all round and moundy. We looked beautiful. Now, the skinny bitches are back at lunch, huddled around their spoonful of non-fat yogurt and half a nut. I don't know why I'm fat, Eve. I just am. I'm fat. I like food. The way it tastes. The way it goes down. I eat for happiness. I never miss my mom so much. I don't look fat when I'm with my mom. I'm starving. And give me some of my mama's home cooking and her fluffy duck ass. Fat girls are good people, aren't we, Eve? We deserve to be skinny bitches. I know, I know, you have to be careful. Strange things can happen. People can take a residency in your body parts. Maybe it's their way of getting close to you when you can't connect in real life. Maybe they, like, slow poison you. What I still don't get is if they invade you or they're invited. You know, better weekends, we're not like the Jews. We love a big butt. It's the spread we dread. If you get the spread, you're dead. Good butts, good asses, oh, they are different. They're everything. You want to stick it out, make it visible everywhere you go, particularly in the street. Hey, baby. <laughs> we start practicing when we're young, like driving lessons. You know, backing them up, turning them around, shining them up for display. You want them round, plumpy, and high. Well, if I had Jenna Jackson's list, I'd walk backwards. <laughs> but the spread is like a lower butt, like a second head of size. It's something that oozes out of you, against your will. It's where you lose your life. When men see the spread, they see their mothers. They see rice and beans and a pissed-off wife with screaming kids in front of a half-paid-for TV set. 
And you have to work really hard to contain the spread after you give birth. Uh, like an oil spill. If you don't stop it right away, it'll contaminate everything. I suffocate all the flora and fauna. My mother, wicked queen. <sighs> Had eight kids and never spread an inch. Oh, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the most beautiful and paranoid of all? My mother. Latina Cosmo girl. She was totally beautiful. Real pretty, brown, perfect tits, Mercedes Benz ass. I was the ugly one. Or so she said over and over. When I was a kid, she would back me into the middle at home like I was a broken down truck. And she would poke at my spread like it was a jellyfish. Oh, God, Carmen, Carmen, you've got to spread. Mira, mira, it's bad, it's bad. Oh, you better work hard on a nice waist and a brain or no one will ever fuck you. I always wore baggy pants and spread covers. Uh, that's what we call them. I practiced sitting on a toilet to see what I would look like sitting on a man. It's bad. It's very bad. You can't suck in your spread. It's not like your stomach, Eve. No. So, I practiced the anti-spread positions. Certain positions that if you sit real still or keep to a certain angle, your spread cannot be revealed. It's all about keeping the spread in the shadows. Uh, there was one particular trick. Uh, scoot down. Scoot down, all of you. I'll show you. It's called the spread tuck. You lift and tuck. Lift and tuck. <laughs> but you have to keep really still or it'll roll right out. I did the spread tuck the first time I was going to have intercourse. The sex was going pretty well. I couldn't move, but it was okay. <laughs> then the guy got really passionate and shit, and he grabbed my spread. I screamed. He thought I was losing my virginity. <laughs> shit. And now he would leave me like my mother said. My mother got the men. I didn't. But she got sick. She got AIDS. And she began to disappear. I sped more and more as she disappeared. I spread and I spread. I was too humiliated to go out. Then my mother died. At first I felt nothing, but then as we began to drive away from her funeral in Brooklyn, I don't know why, but I began to scream and scream and scream as if I was screaming for my life. All these years, all I wanted was to be pretty and good, so you would love me, Mama. But you never saw me. I rode my bike for seven hours every day, and I cried and I cried. I went to the pool and I let my hair be wild. I didn't blow it dry or make it white, right? I stopped wearing makeup and I didn't diet or even care. And suddenly this weird shit started happening. It was like I was in this crazy body twilight zone. And my spread began to fall away. Like leaves. Pound by pound. It was like I had this mother around me. And I gave birth to her when she died. I pushed her out. But I get scared. She could come back. You know, Eve, I really like this group. Maybe I could come back and 
Sheridan, okay? Eve, there's something about metal and flesh. It's so visual. I don't know anyone who hasn't seen the steel bars in my nipples. Do you want to see, Eve? It might give you some ideas about what you want. I like wearing a tight shirt like today. People are like, hey, what's going on in there? Or when I'm at work doing the corporate theme, I'm the only one who knows. It's naughty. <laughs> my nipples are in there whispering, I'm not the good girl you think. <laughs> I'm going to start you off with a basic silver plug for your belly button. No, a semi-precious stud. That's hot for your age. See? <laughs> You'll be back. You'll be piercing everything. It's addictive. Some people see my tits and are really disgusted. Some people are in awe. Some people get seriously turned on. I like it all. Come on, don't, don't you want to see? Listen, if you're too feminine, you're not really a dyke. Once you say you're a lesbian, you have to have always been a lesbian and promise to be a lesbian forever. Can't really waver. Dykes won't trust you if they don't think you're in it for the long haul. After I pierced my tits, they became much more alive. I just have to wiggle the steel bar and my nipples just pop right up. We're going to wake up your belly today. Give her a second life. I had my nipples pierced by a big, hairy, bearded lesbian. It was really hot. I kind of knew she was getting off of the power with hurting me made it sexy. It was completely erotic. I gave her total control. Are you ready to start? Don't worry. Your body probably won't even register this pain. It's more like a sharp, concentrated feeling. This is the sexy part right now. The preparation. Your heart's pounding. You're about to turn your will to me. My piercings are about evolving multiple definitions of myself as a woman, as a lesbian. These metal bars break open the way for me to be complicated. No one is going to tell me who the fuck I am. Listen, when people see your belly, they'll either be disgusted or excited. But I promise you, either way, they're going to take your stomach seriously. Basta, y basta. You look like a person about to have a heart attack. I never knew you were such an American. Let's get rid of this crazy American ball. Excuse me, Nina. Some of us aren't so lucky as you. How do you have such a perfect body? Bella, Bella. Things are not what they seem. You sure you want to know? Really? Okay, okay. Come, we'll have a cigarette. We'll pollute the gym. I was a very skinny girl. Flat like a countertop. Sleek, smooth, everything slid off. And I was fast. Faster than any boy. I was the fastest. I was boss. One day, I was about to go swimming in this fantastic river, and I looked down, and there was something growing there. Growing on my chest. I tried to rub it off. With each inch, I could feel the end of my freedom. The end of my life. I hated girls. 
They were so stupid. They didn't climb, they didn't live in nature, they didn't play in cemeteries. My titties grew so fast, exploding on my chest. Suddenly, Mommy, who never even noticed me, started getting me involved. She, she makes me get a bra. I hated it. All caught, the bra, Mommy all touching, tight, choking me. But the worst part was the way that people looked at me. No one looked at my eyes anymore. Just these two huge events hanging on my chest. Like Christmas lights, growing and flashing. I couldn't run so fast. I couldn't climb. I was suddenly a girl. I was no longer a friend. I was so unhappy. My life was over. Then came Carlo, Mommy's lover. He was beautiful, oh, so gorgeous, rich, intelligent. He was mythical, crazy, and so much fun. <laughs> Mommy always had me on these fixed schedules. With Carlo, I escaped everything. I remember the first time I met him. We were on his motorboat. I wanted to swim. But Mommy said, No, Nina, no. You don't have a bathing suit. Which, by the way, I had stopped wearing because of my breasts. Carlo just picked me up in my clothes and threw me into the sea. It was fantastic. All adventure began with him. And he taught me things like, like jazz. I learned how to listen to the currents and the threads. And he took me places. Museums, crazy Italian movies. But mainly... I thought Carlo could see inside me. I thought he was clever and funny. One night, I was 14. Mommy went off to give birth to my brother, Franco. Carlo, his father, chose to stay home with me. We read our usual poetry and ate pizza. And then there were cozy little kisses. Then he went further. I was paralyzed with fear and pleasure. No one ever touched me before. I had no way to say no. I learned about smell. I learned about wet. He licked me for hours. That night, I discovered my breast could give me pleasure by being touched, by being licked, by being tortured. He said I was his. And I was so happy to finally be owned and loved by him. When, when Mommy came home, she was very sore and tired. She had had a terrible cesarean, and she was ripped apart. I felt bad for Mommy. And gradually, my breast began to feel guilty. Two huge chunks of frozen guilt on my chest. But it didn't stop Carlo and me. Mommy sensed something was happening. She was, she was always angry with me. And I blamed my terrible blasts. They were responsible for everything. Then one night, as Carlo was giving my breast this torturous pleasure, I felt so sick. I had a vision. 
I will get rid of them. Basta. Mommy always hated them, so it was easy to get her to agree. For my 16th birthday, she gave me a present. It took 20 days. 10 days in the clinic, 10 days in Switzerland. I saw my feet again. My breasts were gone. Basta. I was flat, Eve. I was thin. I had a huge scar, and I could play again as a boy. I was no longer a sexy woman everyone wants to fuck. I truly believed that being flat would protect me from Carlo and my desire. It didn't. It went on and on. In order to be good, I've got to be a smiling psychopath, deprived of pretzels, deeply involved with a Nazi trainer, with vanilla fat sucked out with bras, and fortunately numb from the botulinum. I would not be protesting the war, speaking out against censorship and torture, demanding that no one starves or is excluded, that women stop being raped and beaten. I would not be worrying about emaciated polar bears due to global warming. No, I would be sucking, spreading, scrubbing, shaving, pumping, pricking, piercing, perming, cutting, covering, lightning, tightening, ironing, lifting, hammering, flattening, waxing, whittling, starving, and ultimately vanishing. 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 I need to stop. I need to breathe. I need to be here. I want to be able to do my work. I really don't want to disappear. So I'm stepping off of this capitalist treadmill. I'm going to take a deep breath and find a way to survive not being flat or perfect. I am inviting you to join me, to stop trying to be anything or anyone other than who you are. I was moved by women in Africa who lived close to the earth and didn't understand what it meant to not love their bodies. I was lifted by older women in India who celebrated their roundness. I don't have the goods to be good. I don't have the goods to be good. So, I'll just be bad. I'll go for it. I'll celebrate it. I'll flaunt it. Have a belly, we'll show it. Watch me. Tell the image makers and magazine sellers and the plastic surgeons that you are not afraid. That what you fear the most is the death of imagination, originality, metaphor, and passion. Then, be bold, and love your body. Stop fixing it! It was never broken. Thank you all very much for coming to our show. Um, we're going to now open the floor to questions and comments for um, either of the directors or for the students. And I would like to mention um, another opportunity to be in a show. If you think you would like to read a monologue or a poem or a short story, we have a contest called Literature Speak, and it's for all Moraine Valley students. Um, and you can pick any monologue of your choice as long as it's been published. So 
So this isn't uh, for you to write your own work. And there's $100 for the first place winner, 75 for the second place, and 50 for the third place winner. Not a lot of people enter the contest, so it's not inconceivable that you could win. And you would perform and act out the monologue of your choice however you see fit. Um, the monologue can be no more than three minutes long. But if you're interested in that, it's called Literature Speak. I will put these on a chair in the back, so um, as you leave, you can, you can grab one of these on your way out or see me about the contest. Okay, I will now open the floor to... Oh, yes, let me do some introductions. Um, over here we have Kim Sultan from the speech team and from Craig's theater class. We have Melissa Fox from Craig's theater class. And Michelle Lamone, also from his theater classes. like sex and stuff like that, but she's being 
she's having an affair with her mom's lover. Like, I don't know, I thought it was really intense. And I wanted to try out a Spanish accent, so. <laughs> Not easy. Gemma, did you learn anything about women through this? Anything surprise you that these are interviews? Anything shock you? Choose your words wisely. Well, I know my class especially ain't shy. It, well, to me, the most shocking of them here is the piercing one. I mean, it's very in-your-face. Um, did that have any, any kind of effect? Or, nah, not really. Um, what are your thoughts? You have something. Else. How much? Cheers. Cheers, come on. <laughs> the was pretty so the, so the honesty of what you see is refreshing. Um, and actually, the library has a video of vagina monologues performed by Eve Ensler, but in, but in it is also interspliced some of the interviews with the women whose monologues they came from, so you can actually see some of the women talking about these things. And we, I mean, there's like 83-year-old Jewish women from New York, there's, you know, 18-year-old girls, I mean, it's all over the place. And our library has it, it's really worth seeing, so that honesty, when one sees it and hears it, like, wow. I mean, do you do any of you feel like you'd be this honest in an interview about sexuality in your body parts? No. No? Great. But it's, yeah. So, <laughs> so what, after watching Empowering. Um, do you is there any sense of empowerment for women or is there anything that is there anything in here that you might have heard that you said, Yeah, I can kind of agree with agree with that, whether it's about weight or plastic surgery or this or that. Maybe I wouldn't have verbalized it, but yeah. When uh, Michelle was talking about basically your body parts, it does whether you're fat, skinny, and whatever, just basically assessing who you are and how you look for a lot of women. You don't mention it all the time, but it's hard. But to other people, we might think really beautiful, but to us, we see all the imperfections. So. Yeah. Do many do do many of you women agree with that? You kind of see the end of Yeah. Psychologically, we might not stop every day and question this, but we internalize these standards of beauty, and when we don't meet up to them, or when we fear not meeting up to them, we have some level of discontent with that, whether it's extreme. Um, I did a little research about body image issues before this performance, and 11 million women worldwide have some kind of eating disorder. And of all the psychological diseases that one can have, eating disorders um, lead suicide. They're the number one reason why young women commit suicide. So if you ever say, oh, you know, this doesn't matter, yeah, it, it clearly does. Hey, guys, how many of you look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm concerned about my look? Or how many of you guys are concerned about your weight, about losing weight? Oh, I mean, guys, <laughs> I love you. how about women? <laughs> Let me see that Women? About weight? The, the number here is, um, according to Working Mother, is that uh, there was a survey that found 44% of women want to be slimmer compared to 5% of men. It gives you an idea of, so why, why does this happen? Why do you think women are concerned? It seems with men. Oh, can I say that? Like, I think mostly it's just because like, women, like, I, th I think the biggest part of it, especially maybe for like high school students, sometimes even college kids, like, men have a big thing to do with it like we want to look like you know attractive and we want to look appealing and sometimes there's men who are just like you know oh yeah I like the really skinny kind of like pole like girl or I like the girl with you know tits and ass and stuff like that or I like a girl who's 
a lot of everything and stuff like that. I just like the feel of it. I like a woman who's soft. But I mean, like, when it comes to, like, that thing of, like, depression, I think women, like, poke and prod at themselves and basically stab their own selves, you know, and their own self-esteem. And, like, basically just killing yourself softly in a way, I guess. I think it also has a lot to do with the media and what they portray. They make it seem like it's not pretty. That that, that is not even a good word to mention anymore. Like, you can say fat is like, oh,
you know, I see women, you know, some of my cousins are really skinny, but they don't like the way that they look. And some of my cousins are a little bit more like curvy. Like my sister's gorgeous. She has, I think my sister's just perfect shape. And same with my cousin. She's tall, but she's not skinny. She's not like a size 8. She's like, I don't exactly remember, but she's beautiful. And I think it all has to do with culture and like, even like, I guess here because America's different and because like, maybe fashion is a big thing and stuff like that, like, like things like couture and like things like that, you know, you have to be like a size zero or one to be able to fit into a dress. You know, I don't think America wants to portray, you know, like a 200 pound woman walking down a runway, you know, like in like a strapless dress. Some people might find that as disgusting, other people might find that as empowering and beautiful, but I think it has to do with culture and the way that people view their own bodies. I remember when Marilyn Monroe was like perfect size for every woman, and now Marilyn Monroe is like having sex. Yeah, it's an interesting point you just bring up. It, this country used to be curvy women as well until about the 60s. There was this sort of twiggy, skinny movement. And economically, it's very lucrative. Okay, millions or even billions of dollars women spend on diet products, on clothing, on the cosmetic surgeries, and all that combined is extremely lucrative. So you have to question who else is trying to perpetuate this. Well, we want to thank you all for coming. Those of you in our classes, please sign in over there. There's different sheets for mine and uh, Chris's. I want to thank the, uh, the ladies again for... Um, Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.